I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another fantastic, which I guess is presumptuous because we haven't done the show yet, fantastic edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition. I am your host, Rob Peasel from CBC Sports, joined as I am every single week by Jesse Granger in Vegas. How are you, Jesse? I'm doing great. How are you, Rob? Oh, loving every minute of the playoffs, as we talked about last week. It's the greatest time of the year. And ordinarily, we have Sarah Sivian come on and also say she's enjoying the playoffs, but she's on assignment. So we're giving her the week off. It's just me and you, Jesse, but I think we've got a lot to talk about. And uh, it's not just going to be being you the whole show. Uh, Shanna Goldman's going to be joining us uh, after the show. The team she covers, the New Jersey Devils, came oh so close <laughs> to getting that number one overall pick. So we'll talk to her about that. The Montreal Canadiens, of course. Uh, getting that number one overall pick in the draft lottery yesterday. We'll talk about Barry Trotz being fired. We'll talk about award nominations starting to trickle out. But Jesse, let's let's dive into this, man. I mean, we did this last week. We're going to do it again. We're going to start with last night's games. Leafs and Lightning. Um, Leafs with a 4-3 win. If you just look at the box score, it doesn't necessarily let you know what kind of hockey game this was. But Leafs with a 4-3 win to take a 3-2 series lead. 
Uh, they were down to nothing after what was, I can only describe as one of the worst periods I've ever seen a team play and then showed hockey pucks. I didn't know they had in the next two periods. Uh, and arguably one of the most exciting third periods we've seen so far in the playoffs. Uh, I don't mean to take all the wind out of your sail. Maybe you were about to say the same thing, but what did you think of this hockey game? Yeah, no, it was, it was really, really fun. I mean, like you mentioned, I agree that the, the, the game, the, the story of that game was so dramatic. It wasn't just your average, like four, three win. Um, it was so dramatic. And to me, like we all love the, the like role player, the, the guy you don't expect uh, Kiwi Ranta scores a hat trick in game seven. Like we all love that story, but also I like to just have a game where the stars mm-hmm. like shine and like, I'm like you go through the goals in that game and it's Steven Stamkos, Victor Hedman, Tavares, Morgan Riley, Nylander, McDonough, Austin Matthews. Like it was just every player that both of those teams needed to step up in that moment were just excellent in that game. And, and you mentioned it was a rough start for Toronto, but their stars got going and were just phenomenal. Those last two periods in Tampa obviously has no lack of star power. I was just, I love a good game where the best players play the best and, and it's really fun to watch. I love that in all sports. I'll be honest. Right. I'm, I'm not an underdog cheer and, I, and not that I don't want underdogs to do well. And I understand why we have to look for a Cinderella team. Every March madness. I, I get it. I like dominance. I loved when Tiger Woods was winning every single right. golf tournament. I love when Roger Federer was considered unbeatable. I like dynasties. I like that the, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning won back-to-back Stanley Cups. That's just me. So I'm with you. This was, this was incredible. But to me, as someone who's watched this team pretty closely, given my proximity to where I am to Toronto, I'm only about a half hour away. Um, this was huge for a number of reasons. We know Austin Matthews can score. He, he did it 60 times this year. But I've said this for years. The Leafs always seem to, and they're specifically their superstars, always seem to be missing that playoff gear. Okay? they. You look at the great players who are in the game right now, the Sidney Crosbys, the Jonathan Taves, you know, the Alexander Ovechkins. They score in the playoffs, but they do everything in the playoffs. They take it to a whole other level. And I didn't see that last year with Austin Matthews or with Mitch Barner. I saw it last night. Austin Matthews, if I told you before this game that Austin Matthews would have the game-winning goal and lead the entire game in hits thrown, you would have said, I'm insane. But this was the first time I saw those two bring it to another level. And if you're a Leaf fan, you've got to be smiling after last night's game. Yeah, this is huge. I mean, I know the Leafs, they kind of got shafted in terms of having to play the the two-time defending champs in the first round. Like This team that can't get out of the first round is now stuck with the most impossible, (laughs) ridiculous first round matchup ever because of this way they seed these. But it might be a blessing in disguise. Like I know like Toronto still has to win another game, but I feel like for a team that has has had this like playoff curse, like we can't get out of the first round hanging over them. If they had got an easy matchup and like, to be honest, in the East, there aren't really any bad teams. So it's kind of hard. like maybe yeah. if they would have got the, if they would have got the Rangers, for example, and they and they beat the Rangers in the first round, I think there would have been a going into the second round. There still would have been that same like, yeah, but they're the Leafs like wait until they play a good team. If they can beat this Tampa Bay team in the first round. 
the confidence that that's going to give that group that has had so like kind of almost a waiting for the bad thing to happen feeling in Toronto, like everyone's just kind of waiting for the wheels to fall off. I feel like it could be a blessing in disguise playing this this awesome Tampa team in the first round. If they can get past them, the, this Leafs team is scary. I think it's better. I mean, you look at this team, they've had a tendency to, to play down to their opponent's skill level. I mean, right. they lost three or four to Buffalo this year. I mean, what does that tell you right there? Um, I think facing a really, really good team, and you can't get much better than the two-time defending champs, is a good thing. Um, and one other thing we got to mention, huge question mark going into the playoffs for this Leafs team was was goaltending. We've talked about it throughout the entire year. Jack Campbell has gone from, hey, could he win the Vesna? To, hey, he can't stop a beach ball. We need to find someone at the deadline. And... Forget looking at his numbers. I know we're in an age where we love to just have a number to back everything up. If you watch that hockey game, he made saves at crucial times when that team was down 2 nothing. It could have been 3 4 nothing at one, especially after that first period. Kucherov had a couple opportunities that could have easily had this game out of reach. And he kept them in that game. And can you ask anything more from your goaltender than just to give you a chance to win in the playoffs? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think Campbell's been solid. Um, I think... There have been like league wide or yeah, league wide, I guess, in these playoffs, there have been some not so solid goaltending situations that have led to teams like <laughs> falling yeah. apart. And and Campbell Campbell's been solid. I don't think he's been spectacular, but I think like I agree with you. Um keeps the team in the game. Tampa is obviously really dangerous and and made some big saves, um, key saves in in big moments in that game to to kind of keep them within striking distance. All right, so they're going to try to get out of the first round for the first time since 2004. Moving on, the Hurricanes with a 5-1 win over the Bruins, uh, bouncing back from two straight losses. Um, so they're up three games to two in that series. Five different Hurricanes with a multi-point game here. Uh, Seth Jarvis with a couple goals. Sebastian Ajo, who's just, uh, I think he's been great in these playoffs. Um, and now they're one game away from kind of getting past that, I don't want to call it a scare. I don't think losing to Boston would have been that big of an upset, but that looked like the Carolina Hurricanes team we kind of expected going into this series, right? Yeah, they're so good. And you mentioned the the way they spread the scoring around. I mean, this team is just, to me, they're the most balanced team um, in the NHL right now in terms of just, they. it's just wave after wave. They don't have one big line, like you look at Boston, the team they're playing, or, or Colorado or Toronto, they've got one or two really, really big lines that, yeah. they, that they rely on. Carolina's just getting it from everywhere. Um, I'm looking at this morning, I'm looking at the the playoff leaders in points, and Tony D'Angelo yeah. is currently fifth in the NHL <laughs> in playoff points. The only players with more points than Tony D'Angelo in the playoffs are Kale McCarr, Sidney Crosby, Brad Marchand, and Connor McDavid. Like, what in the hell is going on? <laughs> Um, and, and like, like he obviously is bringing the offense. He had that ridiculous slap shot last night, painted into the top corner. Um, and Jacob Slavin, he hasn't been maybe the offensive, like the, the numbers guy, but Slavin, when I'm watching the game, he's unbelievable how well he just manages and controls the game. Like, I don't know that that series can sometimes feel a little, uh, chaotic. And then Slavin gets on the ice and it just feels like everyone on the hurricanes, like takes a deep breath and it's like, all right. We're a little more under control now. He calmly moves it up, and they're suddenly play the whole shift in the offensive zone. Like I just love watching Slavin play. Speaking of D'Angelo, though, how about him taking a shot at the uh, the Bruins fans? Huh? Where he said, "Yo, it's nice to be in a in a rink that's much louder than it was last game." It's like you know what we haven't heard anything 
let's call it spicy from Tony D'Angelo or any stories about him really, like except for just, like you said, performing in the playoffs. I love hearing stuff like that. And then we mentioned that Sarah's away today, but I don't know if you saw Sarah's question to Rod Brindamore. He was wearing like a red paisley tie. And no. she said to him, did you pick that tie out? And he was so happy that someone had asked him about the tie because he said the players were all just giving it to him about this tie. <laughs> and I bring that up for a reason. One, we got to get Sarah in the show somehow. Two, um, he looked so relaxed. And I, I wish Sarah was here because I know she loves talking about Rod Brindamore. You talk about this team and just the fact that they don't rely on one line. When you're such a, uh, a balanced team like this, you do have to have a relaxed atmosphere. You know what I mean? You, you, can't, you can't just say, well, Austin, Mitch, you go out there or, you know, Ranton and, and, and uh, McKinnon, you go out there and, and get us back in this game. And I just feel like this team's kind of relaxed right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, Brindamore is such a good coach. Like I just, I think an underrated part of coaching is the, the tone you set for your team. Agreed. And to me, to me, they're, they're like, I don't think Rod Brindamore is the best tactician there is in the NHL. Like I'm sure there are coaches that can on a whiteboard, draw circles around the guy, but like no one sets a better tone for their team on the bench than Rod Brindamore. Like he, he's just phenomenal at that. And, and, just what he does. All the stories we've heard a million times when players are saying, well, I'm going to show up to the gym and I'm going to beat Rod Brindamore. And by the time they show up to the gym, right. he's already sweating. Like it's, he's that the very prototypical players type coach. And I saw that and he kind of joked about the tie and everything. And I just kind of thought, you know what? That's a calming influence to a team that, you know, obviously goaltending has been kind of the, the, the question mark going in with injuries and everything else. He, he just calmed them down. They, they knocked down their penalties. They had a bad game. They had nine penalties in game four. Uh, didn't get as many in, in game five. So they've got a 3-2 series lead looking to close that game out. And then you've got the Blues and the Wild, which, again, if I told you five games in, we'd have three hat tricks. You'd think I was nuts. Vladimir Tarasenko, not only a hat trick, a natural hat trick in the third period with the game tied at two. Uh, so the Blues win five to two. They're up three games to two in this series. Uh, is this going anything like you thought it would? Cause it's, it's a little weird. This one, I think it's funny. You say that because that's literally what I was going to say is <laughs> this is the most unpredictable. Like I yeah. feel like I have no feel for this series. So we have, I think six or seven of us at the athletic they're doing they're we're, we're picking the games daily. So they're like, they, they show our picks and then they're keeping our record at the bottom. And I'm pretty sure I've missed every single game <laughs> in this, this blues wild series. I, I have absolutely no idea what's going on. Um, I just had to make my pick for their next game this morning. And it's like, flip a coin. Like, I literally have no idea what's happening in this series. They're both so evenly matched. I think Minnesota's a better team, but for whatever reason, St. Louis just seems to match up with them. Their record, they're like 13 and three against them or something like that. And they're la like, St. Louis just seems to match up with this team really well. Obviously, uh, Tarasenko with a huge game. David Perron has been really good. Um, yeah, I mean, that series, they're just, to me, it's like, Two, there, there is no series where the teams are more evenly matched than that one. I also make picks every single night. Uh, only I don't just get commenters saying I'm terrible at making picks. This, uh, the account balance on my sports book goes down every time I make a bad pick. <laughs> and I'm telling you right now, I just, I'm the, the, the way you said it there, I can't get a feel for this series. I just have to stop trying to pick a Blues Wild game. Just leave it alone. One quick thing before I move on from this series. Tarasenko with the hat trick last night and somebody asked him and I apologize because I didn't hear the question. So I can't give the reporter any credit about, you know, Kaprizov had a couple goals last night as well. And he already has a hat trick in this series too. 
about the whole Russian connection. Is it, is it fun to out Russian the other Russian? And he made a point, Tarasenko made a point to say, well, no, this is about the wild and the blues. But he also said that, yeah, there are some quote, extra emotions. Never really thought of that in the playoffs, but I wonder if players from other countries do look on the other side and say, all right, they've got a Russian scorer. We've got a Russian scorer. Our Russian scorers got, I don't mean the rest of the team. I mean, Tarasenko and Kaprizov. Do you think that comes into play or am I, am I grasping at straws? I don't know. I, to be honest, I'd never really thought of that either. Um, it's an interesting concept. I mean, I guess with those two, it's because they're like the two like star players. I mean, I guess the blues yeah. have the kind of score by committee, but those are the two guys in this series. Like, I wonder if it would be the same if they were like both Swedish or yeah, basic, basically anything other than Canadian and American, just cause there's so many Canadians and Americans. Like, I, I wonder if they, I, to be honest, I'd never really thought of it. Um, Neither had I as, until I saw as, the presser after the game. Right. I, and I was like, Oh yeah. Like really Kaprizov's been great. Tarasenko has been great. Is it something of national pride? Like I want to bring the Stanley cup back to Russia to, to my friends and family. I don't know. I never, I was with you. I never thought of it until I saw that. And he said extra emotions. And I went, hmm, interesting. Anyways, so that series also 3-2. Of course, all the series we're talking about from last night, 3-2, because they all went in deadlocked at two. And this is the one that I want to dive into a bit here. Um, Kings with a 5-4 win in overtime over the Oilers. So now the Kings have themselves a 3-2 lead. We're one game away from really playing the what now. Uh, with the Edmonton Oilers, especially the way they lost this game. The Kings were up 3-1 after two periods. McDavid and Dreisaitl went bananas in the third period, five combined points. Um, and I thought about you while watching this because I loved the goal McDavid scored. I mean, it wasn't a typical highlight, go through five guys, McDavid goal, but he got poke checked by Jonathan Quick and still managed to hang on to the puck and score the goal. And I remember you, Jesse, saying, how do you know McDavid scored a really nice goal? The Oilers lose the hockey game. And what happened? The Oilers lost the hockey game in overtime. Kempe with the, the winner. I, all I could do is kind of pull my collar like, oh, are we really going to have to talk about another early exit by the Edmonton Oilers? Yeah. And it's just to me. It's this is not good for the Oilers, even if they were to somehow like win the next two games. It's just. The Pacific Division is so bad. When I, when I, like, as someone who covers a team in the Pacific Division, I watch these teams all year. To me, my biggest takeaway of the first round is like how much worse the Pacific Division is than the rest of the NHL. Like, it's, it's, we're talking, it's a mid major conference in college basketball. Like, it's, they're so bad. Like, I'm watching the Eastern Conference and I'm like, man, Tampa Bay, Boston, Florida, these teams are trailing in their series and they would just demolish the Pacific Division with ease. So to me, it's you're Edmonton and you're losing another first round series, but they aren't in the situation Toronto's in where they get matched up against the two time defending champs. You're playing the Los Angeles Kings, a team that was not even supposed to be in the playoffs, and they don't even have Drew Doughty. They're arguably their best player in the game. Like this is a hampered underdog Kings team that is pl- punching above its weight right now that does not probably belong in this round or in the second round. And they're beating an Oilers team that's getting production from McDavid and Dreisaitl. It's not McDavid and Dreisaitl aren't drying up no. like they're playing big time playoff hockey. They're doing what they need to do. And the rest of that team is just so bad 
that they can't even beat a Kings team that is not an uh, this this powerhouse team that is is like giving the that should give the Oilers troubles. Funny thing is too, if I would have told you before the series started that you and I would be talking about the Kings in a three two series lead, I don't know about you, I would have said, well then Mike Smith playing like garbage. Right. It's, it's Mike Mike Smith's allowing four goals a game. It's not Mike Smith. He kept them in in this game last night to a point where you're like, okay guys, like. Back your goalie up. It looked like they were going to. And here's the other question I wanted to ask you, because, you know, when we talked about game one with the uh, Penguins and the Rangers, you talked about how demoralizing that loss is. When you lose in triple overtime, even though it's game one, it's like, how do you bounce back? I felt that with the Oilers last night. How do you rally in the third period? Have your best players be your best players, two of the best offensive players on the planet and lose and not have that. that. Like, it's just a gut punch. Yeah. And then McDavid after the game says like four goals should be enough to win a game in the playoffs. Like it, it the the comments after yeah. certainly went along with that. Like it, it gave you it gave you the feeling that that was a, a tough loss. And McDavid and Dreisaitl are sitting there looking at each other in the locker room like, well, we did that in the third period. Like it when, when those two when 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 they put those two back on the same line together in the third period, it was like it's crazy. Man, the second they touched the ice, it was like four high danger chances for the Oilers every single time. Like it was incredible. They they literally cannot be better than they were in that third period, and they still couldn't beat a like I said, this is Kings team that like, yeah, a Kings team that is they're playing structured hockey. Like give them credit, they play structured hockey. They've got a lot of guys that are like Philip Deneau's playing his ass off right now. They've got a lot of guys that are playing above their like what what your expected level for them would be. But come on, a team with the two of the best players in the world, you've got to be able to beat that Kings team. You have to. A couple of uh, quotes I want to read from post game. McDavid, quote, obviously we haven't brought our best game yet. Well, you don't say uh, as a whole. Um, Dreisaitl, quote, we're not playing to our standard. We're not working to our standard. And that starts with my line. So Dreisaitl was a little more like, hey, this is, this is a team situation. But the, I think the key to this series is they've been brutal in every first period. Almost everyone. Game two, they had three goals. But Three of the five games, they've been outscored after the first period. Last night, again, they looked brutal in the first period. Whatever you're doing in the before the first period to prepare in these games, do something that's completely opposite because this team is not uh, producing. And, and playing from behind is just, it's exhausting. It's got to be absolutely right. exhausting. So now they're down three games to two. And man, what an offseason it's going to be, not only for the Oilers, but anyone who covers this team uh, in the offseason because... You can only have, like I said, two of the best offensive players on the planet on your team for so long and not have some sort of sniff at a championship yeah. the way they uh, they really haven't. Three games tonight. Let's go through these, Jesse. Penguins and Rangers. Pittsburgh looking to finish off the New York Rangers, and they've been scoring 14 goals in the last two games and really done the impossible. If I, I can't believe they've chased Shesterkin in back-to-back games. This is another one where I think the biggest surprise has to be between the pipes with the Rangers. Yeah, and and I don't even think Shesterkin's played poorly. I think I think he's actually been pretty good, but I think this is a case of the Rangers analytically were not a good team all year long, and their goalie played so well that they made it to this point. And now you reach a point where you've got a coach that's able to like st- like really really find ways to beat this goalie and you've got seven games to to go against the same guy and i think the penguins have kind of found him out um what stands out to me i was looking at some some numbers this morning just kind of seeing if anything pops and man sidney crosby is Incredible. still 
an absolute monster. Yeah. Just like we, like we see the goals and we we like you see the highlight plays, but like he's he's played seventy three minutes at even strength in this series with Sidney Crosby on the ice. The Penguins have outshot the Rangers sixty five to thirty four. The scoring chances are sixty three to twenty three, and the high danger chances are thirty seven to six. 37 to six with Sidney Crosby on the ice at even straight. I mean, he has been an absolute force in this series. It's fun to watch. He's still got it. We're, we're talking about McDavid and Matthews and all these new guys, like or all these younger guys taking over and playing big time in the playoffs. Sidney Crosby still doing it. I remember being on the air during Sidney Crosby's uh, rookie season and saying, what's incredible is every time he's on the ice, I feel like the Penguins have a couple of, of really good scoring chances. And here we are. That remember that was in 2004 <laughs> or 2005. Here we are in 2022 and it's like it's nothing. And again, this goes back to the Matthews thing I was talking about. He, he a couple of his scoring chances and a couple of his goals have been pure outwork out muscle type goals. And when you sprinkle in the skill that he has with that, it's incredible. Picked up his 200th point in in game 4. You look at the only players with more points in the playoffs all time than Sidney Crosby. You've got Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, Yari Curry, Glenn Anderson, and Yager. And Yager only has one more point. He's going to pass Yager, uh, barring anything crazy happening. So it'll be, he'll be top five all time in playoff points. Just, yeah, just crazy. I mean, and, and the Penguins look good, man. Malkin's playing well. Like, I, I, again, I think the Rangers are probably the weakest team in the East, especially when, when Shesterkin's not on fire. Um, but the Penguins, the Penguins look like they're a team that can absolutely go on a run. One question for you, because I know you've dealt with Gerard Glunt in the past. This was what his post-game quote after their last loss. Uh, we played soft all over the ice. That's the biggest difference. We were soft all over the ice. Thought you saw a lot of soft, bad plays, but a lot of people. It was a team effort tonight. So sometimes, you know, I, I find being a coach, you, you talk about the X's and O's versus just being a motivator. And Gerard Glantz been a motivator everywhere. But ooh, I don't know if calling your team soft is a motivating thing or uh, I don't know what, what's the right way to put this or, or, or a way that just gets your team even more down. Soft is soft is a bad, bad insult from your coach. Right. Soft is a, a word in hockey that I feel like is you have to be careful with it. Like yeah. it, it, it. It's strong. Like it's a soft is a very strong word in hockey, like stronger than it is in other contexts. I like like you said, I covered Gallant for a couple years here in Vegas. I think he knows his team like he he knows the players in that locker room and he knows that if calling them soft in in the postgame press conference is going to maybe get a little more physicality out of him, um, then that's what he's going for. Like, I, I, I think Gallant, one of his biggest strengths, um, we were talking about Brendan Moore. I think he the players and and his relationship with his players, are it's so good. Um, like, I, I think he understands his players incredibly so, well. So you're saying this, this would be a motivator? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I trust Turk's uh, call, like judgment on on what these words will do to his players. I, I really do trust uh, that he knows his players and, and how they'll react. Um, I just think they're, to me, they're just outmanned. Like, I think this Rangers team was not expected to, to be this good this year. And they have been just on the back of Igor Shesterkin. And when he's not making highlight real save after highlight real save, they're in trouble. Show me a good goalie. I'll show you a team in the playoffs. Uh, Capitals and Panthers, series tied 2-2. Uh, 
The Panthers in the regular season, of course, won the President's Trophy, averaged 4.11 goals per game, which was first in the league. In the playoffs, 2.75, 12th out of the 16 teams. But I will say in game four, they certainly dominated the entire game, complete play. And you look at the Washington Capitals, had 16 shots in the whole game, a game that went to overtime. I don't know how they stayed in that game, but they did. But um, is it, I, I'm wondering about this Panthers team. Are, is there a reason to worry if you're, if you're a team, if you're a fan of this team? Yeah, I think there is. Um, I, I think they should still be able to win this series, but I think uh, when you win the president's trophy, your, your goal, your aspirations are not to win the first round. It's to go deep in the playoffs. And to me, this offensive issue, I guess, not quite clicking as well as it was. Um, they've, I mean, they have to solve it before the second round if they're going to get there and if they're going to go on a deep run. So yeah, I think there's concern. Seven players didn't have a shot on net for the Washington Capitals in that game too. It's just, Jeez. yeah, like you just, you just can't, have, including Baxter and Manta. Like, yeah, that, that was just, that was just ugly. And I expect some sort of, at some point I keep waiting for this Panthers team to put up like an eight spot. You know what I mean? Like just, right. just do what they did all year long. And then you got the stars and the flames game four. the flames set a franchise record with shots up for shots on net 54 shots on net. That's the franchise record without overtime. I should mention. Um, and they scored more goals in that game than the first three games combined. Uh, I felt like that was the first time we saw the Calgary flames we've been expecting in these playoffs. Agree or disagree? Yeah, for sure. They, they have not looked like to me, Calgary is, is maybe not quite as good as Carolina, but they remind me similar team in that they, they kind of swarm, they, they play in waves. They've got a really good depth at the forward position, but they got a great top. Got a lot of guys. That's the difference. Right, right, right. right, Exactly. They, they really do lean on those guys, but to me, the story of this series has been the goalies. I mean, yeah, yeah, like you, Again, looking at the stats, the top two goalies in the entire NHL in save percentage in the first round are Jake Ottinger, 960, and Jacob Markstrom, 952. The two best save percentages in the league are both in this series. They're both playing really well. Ottinger, I mean, he's 23. I loved watching him in Boston um, in college, and I think he's got a bright future. I think this is a his first taste of playoff hockey. He's handled himself really well. The difference is I think one of those two goalies can handle it. I don't know how much longer Ottinger can, you know, right. I, I just, it's no surprise that Jacob Markstrom is playing the way he is because I think yeah. we all kind of expected this. Ottinger's one, I, 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 you could almost smell one of those games where he just, he's allows three, four goals in the first period because he's just exhausted, you know, like he's getting, right. he, he's, especially that game, he just looked tired. Um, but let's face it, the Dallas Stars are the Dallas Stars and where they are right now because of him. He is yeah. he is the story of this series. Yeah, I the stars were not playing good hockey down the stretch. I watched a lot of them just because Vegas was kind of battling with them. And and to me, they looked like a team that was already not one of the more talented teams. And they were backing into the playoffs like they did not play well down the stretch at all. Um, I mean, even the game that they clinched the playoffs, they they let the Coyotes come back and beat them in overtime. <laughs> like th this team was not playing well. So the fact that they're even making this a series, I don't know if that's a, an indictment on Calgary or or if maybe we should just give Ottinger all the credit. But yeah, that, I, I'm surprised Dallas is hanging. I will say in game four, I loved the opening face off when Milan Lucic took the opening face off against Jamie Ben and tried to fight him and Ben didn't want to fight him, but it was basically saying, you know, and, and they talked about it a lot on the broadcast. If you want to get physical and you want to fight, you're doing it with me. You're not doing it right. with Kachuk. 
And I find that is one of those fine lines that people need to to dance on if you're a scorer in the playoffs. You don't want to be a pushover. You don't want to not have any fight in you, but you also have a job to do. And Matthew Kachuk can't put the puck in the net or, or, or pick up points from the penalty box. That's Milan Lucic's job. And he, he, he wanted to let him know. And the game completely took a different turn uh, because you could tell that Jamie Benn was trying to get under Kachuk's skin, which is interesting because it's usually Kachuk trying to get under right. someone else's skin. Um, but that that was huge. And that's why you get, I'm not trying to say Milan Lucic is, you know, consummate trophy candidate, but that's why you have guys like him on your team. Right. And especially when Lucic is playing as well as he is. Like, I, like to me, if, if that type of player can just be like, you don't have to be spectacular, but just don't be a liability yep. out there. And and you're an, a huge asset to the team. And and he's done more than that. I think he's actually been an asset, um, even without all of that extracurricular stuff, which no one does better than Lucic. <laughs> um, I, I think he's actually been playing really well. So, yeah, I mean, he he's a he's a big part of what Calgary's doing. So there you have it. Seven series because one is already done a waste of eight days for the Nashville Predators. I know you love that line. I saw your tweet. So, yes. uh, yeah, that was that blink and you missed that series. Uh, Kale McCarr leading the playoffs in scoring right now, but we don't need to analyze that uh, anymore. Shayna Goldman is going to be joining us. We'll talk Devils. We'll talk playoffs. We'll talk Barry Trotz. We'll talk a little bit of everything. So don't go anywhere. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, if you read The Athletic every single day, and you absolutely should be, you'll know that our next guest, Shana Goldman, not only covers the New Jersey Devils, but has been analyzing some of the series uh, in this first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. She's joining us now. Thanks for doing this, Shana. Thanks for having me. Uh, all right. Well, Jesse and I broke down every remaining series in, in the first segment, and a couple of them we've said are, are a little baffling and tough to uh, figure out. Jesse and I both agree that, you know, the wild and the blues, we just can't get a feel on it. What series really jumps out to you that you know, it's just not going the way you thought it would? I think that's a good one. Um, the Wild and the Blues. I thought it would be somewhat even, but I was surprised at some of the blowouts earlier in it. So it's nice. The games are getting a little bit closer, but I do think it's a little surprising. Like some of the results don't match up. It's like the team that's playing better isn't the one that's winning every game. And um, the other series, I guess that's kind of surprising to me. I would say not the fact that the Penguins are in the lead, but just how disastrous the Rangers have been. Like I expected Pittsburgh to win, but I didn't expect them to absolutely kick their asses like they are. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's and we talked about, you know, the Shesterkin factor and everything else. But 
Um, the Euler one too is, is one that we're kind of trying to figure out because if the Edmonton Oilers end up losing that series, Shana, we said it's going to be a long off season, not only for Oilers fans and the Oilers, but for anyone covering this team, because it's going to be a huge game of what now? Yeah. Like that, that's such an intriguing one because the Kings have all the makings to be this like total disruptor in the playoffs and they're doing exactly that. And the Oilers, I think, Okay, I think an idiot can close their eyes and point at that roster and tell you what the problem is. And I think they could the entire season. And those in charge are the only ones, either they know it and can't fix it or they don't know it. And that's kind of concerning. And while they made good moves at the deadline, at the end of the day, there's flaws with this team and coaching change did help. The additions they made did help. But they have two of the best forwards in the league. And sometimes it's like, that's the best you got. And to see how, you know, they're going to go against Kopitar and Deneau, it's, it's super intriguing, and I think it's fun to watch. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a long off season for them. If like at this point, you look at where they are, the peak of McDavid and Drysaitel. If they don't make it to round two or three, that's a huge loss. If they don't make it, you know, out of round one, what do you do? Like, what drastic move can you do? Because we've seen them make drastic moves that have just set the team back. That's it. That's the what now game. It's going to be all all off season if this team loses Game Six against the Kings. Um, Last night we had the draft lottery and I knew you were coming on the show. And every time Bill Daly turned over one of those cards, I'm like, oh yeah, we got Shane on the show tomorrow. <laughs> Devils still haven't been mentioned. Devils still haven't been mentioned. Devils still haven't been mentioned. Get down to the final two. Uh, the Devils end up with the number two pick moving up, you know, in the, in the draft. Um, were you, were you uh, on pins and needles? Like, like we were thinking, oh my goodness, Shane Wright could be a New Jersey devil. Um <laughs> I felt like the cards were not going to be in their favor for the first overall pick. But once they didn't go to their natural slot, I'm like, okay, they're definitely going to finish second, which I guess is better for the rest of the league because I think everyone would be pretty annoyed if they're like getting the Oilers luck with all those first overall picks. And like you look at where they are now. I'm super intrigued, though, because on breakup day, general manager Tom Fitzgerald said like he would be willing to trade that first round pick wherever it may be to get an impact player. And now that it's the second overall pick, do you still do that? And, you know, I look at it and I go, they could make that pick, but maybe they look at it because at, at the end of the day, you should be drafting the best player who's available on the board, regardless of position, regardless of need. But maybe it is a center who's the next best player. Do you trade down to four or five and try to get a very good player plus that lower pick from another team that might want to move up? Like that might be the most intriguing thing that they could do at this point. But I, I'm curious to see how it works out. So he was he was saying that he would trade the first round pick for a veteran, like to bring in a, like an immediate uh, like player in his prime. Yeah, it sounds like I know on Sportsnet, Jeff Merrick linked them to Kevin Fiala. And that's, you know, I think the area they'd want to be where it's a player who's in their prime right now and is going to be, you know, at the top of their game for a bit. Not so much. You know, you could turn to free agency and go for that 28 year old, 29 year old. And there's some good players out there. You can look, you know, for Johnny Gaudreau or Philip Forsberg, but good luck. But maybe you know, you could try for a pending RFA instead and go a little bit younger player under contract. Um, they need a, they need another top line winger, but it's they have, you know, needs in net as well. So it's interesting now, like, does that pick come off the table? Do they look at it and go, well, our top prospect is Alexander Holtz. Do we want to trade him instead? Like they have options, but I feel like if anyone should be making splashy moves, it's the Devils, but they can't just win the offseason. They need to actually make something of it. Do you, do you think they're actually in the position right now to be like, I, I don't know, from the outside, like someone who's not paying super close daily attention to the Devils? I feel like that's crazy that they would even be considering that. Like, I, I feel like they're in the position to add talent for the future at, with the number two pick. The fact that they would be looking to kind of go into like win now mode would be a little surprising to me. 
Yeah, I don't think that they're going to be contender status no matter what they do this summer. But I do think that they can be a team with the right moves that tries to compete for an actual wildcard spot, even if they fall short. It's like the next natural step in the process. And I do wonder if they're going to get closer to it. But you need a goaltender because that was the biggest problem this right. year. They had, I think it was 66 gate, uh, goals more than expected that they allowed between all seven of their goalies. That's disastrous. So right. that's step one. Um they're bringing in new assistant coaches at the very least, which they they needed. Their power play was an absolute wreck. You know, it killed momentum constantly. They allowed numerous shorthanded goals. Um, and, you know, maybe some tweaks to the defensive system won't be a bad thing. Their penalty kill was good, so they can build on that. The bottom of their lineup needs help up front. The bottom of their defense needs help. Um, they have a fine top four if they can stay healthy, but they need a third pair that's not a liability. So... Maybe they can make like low risk moves there, but they also have to extend Jesper Bratt. That's most important. And then bring in another winger. So if they can expect some of their younger players to slot in and come in on entry level deals and low end contracts like that, they can make that splashy move and try to put things together to get closer. But if they're going for an impact player, it doesn't make sense to go for the 28, 29 year old who is very good right now, but in two years when the devil should be very good is going to be, you know, slightly over the hill. And I know it's so bad to be like, oh, the 30 year old's bed, but like, we know how this works. You know, you wanted that at the time of your window, your players in their prime, not those, those years are behind them and they'll still be good, but you're paying them and now costs are rising elsewhere. So I think that they have like the makings to be a competitive team last year. If you look at the team in front of the goaltending, Basically, before the very end of the season, when injuries piled up, the Jack Hughes injury and everything, but between the Christmas pause and uh, the Jack Hughes injury, there were a lot of signs of progress in front of the net, but the problem was they did not get a save. Found it funny that you started four consecutive sentences with, they need. And that's, that's what I think, that's, exactly, that, like, that's exactly and that's it. what Jesse, I think, is kind of leaning towards yeah. here is, I, I figure, Mike, one of my questions I wanted to ask you is, you know, with Jack Hughes, with Heischer, are they going to draft? Is it is it a foregone conclusion that they draft a winger? And and now it's just one of those situations where I didn't know this either that 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 they're looking to possibly move the pick. And yeah, I, I well, just they were. I, yeah they is, were they, they now? were but now That's... yeah interesting. No, they could go for a defenseman. They just don't need a center. They have Dawson Mercer, who they've already shifted to wing because it doesn't make sense for him to play three C when you want him playing top six minutes. So. At that point, they should definitely, if they feel that the center is the best player on the board, maybe try to move down to third or fourth. And we don't see that enough in the NHL where a team with the second overall pick tries to slide back to five, not moves it all together, but you can still get a lot back. The problem is, like you said, I started with they need, they do need a lot, but if any team has the assets to do it in terms of picks, prospects, and cap space, you know, they definitely do. Is it the lengths of the Seattle Kraken, what they have to move? No, but they have... If they play their cards right, they could have a competitive team. Not necessarily a playoff team or a good team, but a an actually competitive team. Uh want both of your opinions on this. Devil's at number two, but it's so interesting to me that Kent Hughes is going to have his first ever draft, first ever time he walks to the podium, first ever time he says, you know, the Montreal Canadiens select in front of his home crowd in Montreal, and it's the number one overall pick. I mean, I'm not one of these conspiracy theory guys that says, oh, you know, the frozen envelope or anything else because we know it doesn't happen. But man, this is this is almost like Disney movie. Like I couldn't believe and I know they had the the, the biggest shot to win at 18.5 percent. But this is it was almost comical when they actually got it. The Jeff Gorton effect. 
<laughs> very lucky. He's yeah. Very lucky. Yeah. What'd you think of that, Jesse, when you saw Montreal? Oh, I thought, man, I can't wait for July. Yeah. Um, I, I'll be in Montreal. We're all going there for the draft. And I am so excited. I mean, like the fact that like it was already going to be exciting because we knew Montreal was going to have a high pick. And and obviously that city is great. I've been to Montreal a few times and I absolutely love it. It's awesome. And I've only been I've only been there in, Jul- in in January. So the weather has been just miserable every time I've gone and I still love the city. So going there in July, everyone's going to be excited. The The team's got the first overall pick. I am so pumped for that draft. More excited than I've ever been for a draft. Uh, you mentioned Montreal. We knew they were going to get a, a top pick and that's because of some of the new rules. I want both of your opinions on some of the new draft lottery rules. And in case you don't know them, um, they only drafted the top two spots last night that the remaining 16 teams got slated in as far as, uh, the standings go and you could only move up 10 picks. So only the 11 worst teams in the NHL had a shot at the number one overall pick. And the other change was no team will be able to move up the board by winning the lottery more than two times in a five-year period because we've seen it happen in the past. Um, I know it's one draft lottery in with these new rules, but thumbs up or thumbs down. Shane, I'll start with you. I think it's fine. I do think some of the rules uh, probably were inspired by the year of the bubble when teams got to be in the play-in and then still be in the draft lottery, which isn't exactly fair because they were teams that definitely should not have been in the bubble at all, like Montreal, Chicago, New York. Um, so it's tough that I feel like that had to inspire it, but I, I think it's fine. Like there are a lot of teams that have gotten the first overall pick and done nothing with it, and it is tough. But you don't you don't want to see teams tanking and things like that. I get that. Um, for now, it's fine. But I do think we have to see a little bit more of it to see like, I mean, it sucks because then it would be reactionary. Did anybody get screwed? Now let's, you know, act and react. But I don't know. I guess they're fine. You know, you can't move up too much. That's a little bit more fair. Maybe, you know, the team in last should have sucked more. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. Like, what's the other solution? Jesse? Yeah, I, I agree with pretty much everything Shana said. I think it, I understand the reasoning. I will say that it does take a lot of the excitement away from the, the teams that are like have the like 1% chance, yeah. like also like covering the Golden Knights. It was okay. They have a 0.8% chance of winning the lottery. And that is to move up to sixth, yeah. which. Okay, like, like they, Great. if you're a Golden Knights fan, like how much now it, th- there was a little more intrigue for Vegas just because they would have kept the pick if it had if they had won the lottery because it was top 10 protected from Buffalo in the Eichel trade. So there was that added. But like, say you don't have that and you're just the team with the 15th best or worst record. There's very little reason for you to care about the the lottery draft, whereas the lottery, whereas I think. Prior, when when you do have, yes, I know it's only 0.01% chance, you still did have a chance, technically, if the ball pops up, you're in the first overall pick. So there was at least a small reason to care. I do think that this new format for like five teams that have no chance of moving up into the top couple picks, um, there's not a whole lot of reason to care. I get it too. I mean, they don't want the really crappy teams to fall to like four as we've seen in the past. They want they wanted Montreal to have that, you know, a a top pick. But the other thing too, the whole, you can't win the lottery, you know, certain amount of times over a certain amount of years might be a little, what Shana was alluding to there, a little bit of an overreaction. It's happened, but really if you do a thousand lotteries, do we think it's going to happen that many times? Do we think the Edmonton Oilers are going to get three straight number one picks that many times? It just seemed like a bit of a, 
an overreaction to well, me. As long as Taylor Hall's in the playoffs, we can for sure <laughs> yeah. know that it won't happen. If Taylor Hall starts missing the playoffs again, then that's when <laughs> things it's start Taylor to get Hall sketchy. Or Jeff Gordon. It's going one way or the other. <laughs> but like, it's it's really interesting too because as much as teams can be upset and like this is harsh. If you're upset you didn't get the first overall pick, there's still other players. We know the odds of a player coming, you know, from the first or second slot. It really does trend down, you know, in the later rounds. And Dom, Lucia, and did a ton of work on that, which, you know, built off work others had done about the value of a draft pick. But if you want your, you feel that you can't draft a good player if you're not first overall, you might want to get a better, you know, draft and scouting. Scouting draft. department, like, yeah. Yeah, you look at teams like Tampa Bay and look at players like Braden Point from the third round or Nikita Kucherov, and you can find gems if you just look outside the box and more importantly, you develop them properly. So you shouldn't be panicking as much if you fall from second to fifth, if you have a smart staff. We saw Kale McCarr go fourth. Right. And Quinn Hughes went fifth. There are impact players to be had if you can find them and, you know, can get outside the biases like the NCAA bias or they're small and they're not physical or, you know, they look like a boy among men. There's so many different ways that you can try to work around it. And I'm not saying that, you know, that there's not value to the first overall pick. There obviously, you know, there obviously is. But if you have a very good scouting staff, it doesn't matter where you pick, you can find the hidden gems and, you know, make the most of them because drafting is one step and the rest is on you after that. It is. It is. And I get it. But it's usually a generational talent who's taken it. Yeah. When, it, when, it, doesn't, when me, it doesn't yeah. happen, it's a bust. When it does yeah. happen, it's what was supposed to. We all knew Connor McDavid was going to be there. We all knew Austin Matthews was going to be there. We all, we just the best players of our generation were all drafted first overall. So that's, that's where I think their, their thought process is coming from. I think it varies depending on the draft class. Like I think there are classes where the first overall pick, everyone knows like this, yeah. I'd rather have this pick than the next 30 picks. Yeah. Like, right. And, yeah. The, and, the, and then they're like, like this one, like Shane Wright is pretty clearly like the unanimous, like number one overall yeah. player. But would it shock any of us if the guy taken third is better than him? Like no. it wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah. Like no surprise. Um, And like you mentioned, Kale McCarr, like that draft, he sure and, and Car or sorry, uh, Heiskanen, that class, like they're just ridiculous talent in the top five. Like I think a lot of classes, the number one overall pick is not as important. And then every once in a while, a Matthew, yeah and a McDavid comes around and it's like, yeah, I would trade literally anything for that. Thing. And that's the whole, and that, that's the it, yeah. Too, yeah, they set the bar way too high. If you're expecting McDavid <laughs> and Matthews every single draft, then if Nico Heischer has a crap first year or Jack Hughes does or right. Lexi Lafreniere does, you're just like, you know what? They're just not as good. Like it, you can look at the year Nathan McKinnon was drafted too. Like there's so many players you could look at that can go first overall in a couple of years. And it's all about, you know, figuring out who is the most skilled player of the draft and then figuring out how to get the most out of them after that. But like there, the years that there is that generational talent and even McDavid to Eichel, there was a gap between one and two. Eichel is someone who could go first overall in almost any year. And there's that gap or, you know, Matthews to line a was a discussion as well. Like those generational players definitely are spoiling us. And then they set the bar way too Agreed. high for everybody else. I agree. And, you know, I, like I had a friend text me last night who. He kind of said, "Hey, you know, how important is this? Is this lottery? Is this a, is this a guy who you know you want to tank for?" I go, "Have you heard the the word tank at all this year?" No, Shane Wright's a good hockey player. I've I've covered some Kingston games. I I, I watch him. He's a very very good hockey player and probably deserving number one. Is he going to turn the Montreal Canadiens around tomorrow? Absolutely not. So you're right. It's just kind of luck of the draw. You could have the first overall pick five years in a row, but if the sixth year is Connor McDavid and you're not <laughs> with that spot. You're, you're kind of screwed. Um, 
this is the time of year where coaches get fired in every single sport. As soon as you go into the playoffs, the teams that didn't go, didn't make the playoffs. A lot of times the coaches are, are getting the pink slip. I have to admit this one surprised me because a certain coach um, in his four years with the team won the Jack Adams final four loss to the eventual champions, final four loss to the eventual champions, and then had a really weird year this year where 13 game road trip to start the year and played 50 games in 99 days. But Barry Trotz fired by the New York Islanders. Scale of one to 10. How surprised were you on this one, Shana? I'm surprised that Lou Lamorello actually did it more than anything else because he is not the coach, uh, the general manager to make such a splash. He, I have a low opinion of Lou Lamorello. Like I always have. I, I think that he, you know, gets a lot of credit because of his longevity in the league versus you know, what has he actually done? And you can look at things in Toronto and now you can look at things with the Islanders. His best move was hiring Barry Trotz because that was a team that was desperate for defense and he brought the structure that they needed. He brought in one year in one, he turned around in one year. Yes. And I think the first year of a coaching change can be the best because you're taking the offensive skill that we know this team had, they had all the offense and now he added this defensive structure. It's the perfect blend of systems. Now you bring in Mitch Korn, you're going to have someone who's going to turn your goaltenders around. He's director of goaltending, not just a goalie coach, you know, like he has been with other teams. So they have a, you know, they built up a staff for that. All of that was his, the best moves that he could make as general manager. And then you look at the roster that he built. And at times, you know, how he worked with the roster Garth Snow built, I should say, you know, there are a lot of misstep, missteps and a lot of emphasis on bottom six players and cap situations they shouldn't have been in. So do I fault Barry Trotz for the fact that Lou Lamorello traded Devin Tav- Devon Taves around for nothing, uh, did not replace him, got rid of Nick Letty, two puck movers out, did not replace him, um, lost Jordan Eberle for nothing when he was, you know, a bonafide top six player, did not replace him. No. But do I look at the point, you know, you get to a point four years year, four years in and you go, Barzell should be better. Bavillier should be better. These players have the offensive talent and they're not using it. And players like Oliver Wallstrom aren't developing like they should. And when you look at Washington and you look at Andre Burakovsky and Jacob Verana, you go, it is a bit of a trend here. I think Trotz comes in, he does his thing, and then the cycle goes that now the team needs an offensive coach. So it's intriguing that he actually made the move. It was a little bit aggressive, but I see the argument for it. But the team that he worked with should have been better. To me, Trotz is one of, if not the best coach in the league. Like, I don't, I don't even, I, to me, it's like top three. I don't, I don't think there's any way Barry Trotz is not one of the top three coaches in the league, but he keeps finding himself in the unemployment line. Like what, is, like, <laughs> like, what is going on? Maybe, maybe there's something, maybe, maybe Barry's difficult to deal with. I was going to say, is uh, there something like, more that we're, we're just, we're not privy to because Washington didn't want to extend him until the cup final run. And then, then, then they're like, okay, we'll extend you. And he's like, no, screw you. Like clearly yeah, there was, was the, a, the, a the, the weird contract thing, but that's the thing with that capitals team. That was the most unspectacular capitals team of like, you know, the few years all season, they went for the quality over quantity approach. It burned them. They made it to the playoffs and then come the playoffs. They did flip a switch. There were reasons to pinpoint things that went wrong there. There were six on five situations. And they had, if I remember correctly, it was Alex Ovechkin back at the point and John Carlson in the circle. And it's like, why are you doing that? Why are you not putting Alex Ovechkin, your best shooter, where he should be? Like, there were tactical decisions and developmental decisions that you went, huh. Like, I can see the argument for not keeping him. And to an extent, he came in. He did his thing. He helped the team. He got them where they needed to be. Now it's time for someone else to take the reins. And Barry Trotz can go to another team that's desperate for defense, like Winnipeg, and do his thing again. Like, it just feels like 
we need to find, we need more on coaching impacts. We need to be able to study coaching impacts a little bit yeah. deeper and really look at that crossover year where it's a new coach bringing their system and mixing with the old before their system takes hold as much as it does that it really wipes out what was there before, which in the Islanders case was offense. Yeah. If the Florida Panthers don't win two of the next three games, uh, how long until Barry Trotz is announced the Florida Panthers coach? <laughs> That's intriguing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, Winnipeg, I think- as soon as I saw the news after I was like, oh, wow, it, Winnipeg to me was just that just reeks of a Barry Trotz hire to me. Uh, but okay, that, let, let's talk about possible replacements. I was reading Kevin Kurz's piece where he had eight different coaches. I'm going to just list them. You tell me right now, if you were a gambling man or a woman, what, who are you putting your money on? Is it Mike Babcock? Is it Lane Lambert? Of course, his right-hand man in New York. Uh, Peter DeBoer, Rick Tockett, Joel Quinville, Claude Julien, Paul Maurice, or the one and only John Tortorella, or someone off the board. Who, who, who are you putting your money on? Jesse, we'll start with you. Who am I hiring? Who do you think will be the next coach of the New York Islanders? Oh, okay. Um, man, I'm putting you on the spot. Question. I, I, I really don't know. I mean, I don't think it's going to be Babcock or Tortorella. Like, I, maybe I. I'm wrong. Lou, Lou seems. I mean, Lou might go that route. I don't think he's going to go that route. I think it's going to be someone new. I think it's going to be uh, someone a little more fresh. Like, like Shana was saying, I think there is something. There is there is a point there to be made that Trotz is is very good with maybe t- taking a veteran team and and making them good, but he's maybe not as good as developing the the offensive talent. And 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 I think someone fresh would be the better option. So I'm gonna not give you an answer, but I don't think it's Ooh. I don't think it's gonna go the Tortorella Babcock route. I really don't. Okay, I have a question. In what economy is Lou Lamorello fresh? That's true. It's. I'm saying what I think they need to do, and maybe not oh, what sure. they will do. Yeah, well, yeah. I could. It, we could list a million things wrong. they need to do, but I mean, <laughs> we have to be realistic. Here's the thing: I listed two it, coaches there that he has experience with. Don't that he yeah. fired, right? Yeah. So yes, I agree. And hired, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm a glass half empty type guy. Your glass half to full for sure. No, 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 <laughs> no. All right, good. Um, no, so I would look at it. There's two two coaches that stand out to me. You could look at it as Lane Lambert. Because why not give him the head coaching spot? Because every other team in the league is going to want to. Does Lane Lambert want it after they just fired Trot, who he has worked with in Nashville, Washington, and with the Islanders, though? That's the question. Like, is he the kind of guy who's going to go, screw you, I'm going to go somewhere else? Because Detroit's probably there with arms wide open, like, let's go, I'll hire you. So I think Lane Lambert might be a top choice, but it depends on what Lane Lambert wants to do. The one that I would say is Peter DeBoer. Because of his experience with Lou Lamorello. Because Why he, is his name included in yeah, this? That, uh, you, come on, though. You threw come me on. off, Rob. If he, if he Rob had, threw me <laughs> off. I seriously was like, I, I didn't even know what the question was by the time you got to the end of it because I'm like, wait a minute. He just named all these coaches. I told you, told you. Kevin Kurz's piece, he, he said, here are eight guys that could be replacements for Barry Trotz. And I just stole it from there because I wanted to yeah. get your opinion. And I know he's technically job. still, under, he's <laughs> well, still he gets, the coach of another if team. If he gets fired... If he gets fired, I you're already want- firing Florida coaches too. So why can't I fly yeah, fire coaches? <laughs> no, I could definitely <sighs> see if Pete DeBoer is available though, because if you look at Lou Lamorello's track record, and let's just focus on the Islanders, Komarov he worked with in Toronto, he signed him. Matt Martin he had brought to Toronto, he brought him back to the Islanders. Uh, Zajac, uh, Andy Green, uh, Kyle Palmieri, Zach Parise, Lou Lamorello has his bubble of people he knows, and those are the people he interacts with. Barry Trotz was such a shock because he went out of the box. So maybe it's only players he does that with and not coaches. But I don't know if Pete DeBoer is available. I can't see him not wanting him. He had him 
for so many years in New Jersey and so many years past what he should have in New Jersey. So could he give him another shot after, you know, everything with Vegas? Like, I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me. But if Lou Lamorella does something innovative, I would love to be the first person to be wrong. <laughs> I don't I, I feel like Pete DeBoer, he's a great coach, but I don't I think he's the wrong fit for like everything you mentioned about developing young yeah. players, getting offense. Pete DeBoer is not the guy to get offense out of offensive players. Trust me, I am covering a team that is <laughs> stacked, just like ridiculously embarrassing amount of talent offensively, and they cannot score a goal. They cannot score a goal. So is Pete DeBoer going to unlock the offense in no. New York? I'm going to say an absolute no on that one. So, <laughs> But mean, he has I, a I relationship know. there, and that's, that's true. at the end of the day, like that's what I, I again, very pessimistic with Lamorello. I like I, it, maybe it's my bias coming through. I just don't see him going outside the box. And I do wonder too, with Lane Lambert, is he the coach to do it when he's worked with penalty kills and, you know, adding defensive efforts to right. forwards game? Like, is he then the offensive coach? But if he's the hot commodity and we all know he is, I would love to see the, an out of the box pick. And that does not mean Mike Babcock, cause he's been out of the game for a minute. That is absolutely not the pick to go with, but if any general manager is not going to care about that stuff, it would probably be Lula Morello. So. The, sure. the Wednesday roundtable edition where we fire coaches before they've been fired and hire them and give them and give them jobs elsewhere before they've, <laughs> they've lost their jobs. Shana, it's always fun talking to you. Thanks so much for doing this. We'll talk to you soon. Enjoy the playoffs. Thanks for having me. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. 
All right, big thanks to Shana for uh, coming on. Rapid fire time, though, Jesse, things we didn't necessarily have time to get to. Uh, earlier on in the show, we are seeing award nominees coming out. So far, we've got the Vesna, we've got the Norris, and we've got the Calder. Uh, for the Vesna, Jacob Markstrom, UC Saros, and Igor Shosturkin. The Norris, you got Victor Hedman, you got Roman Yossi, and Kale McCarr. And uh, the Calder coming out today, Michael Bunting of the Leafs, Maritz Sider from Detroit, and Trevor Zegras. Anything jump out to you as surprising, whether someone uh, you're surprised someone is one of the final three finalists or surprised that someone got left out? Um, no, not really, to be honest. Um, I I got to kind of be careful because I vote on the Calder and the Norris and I'm not supposed to. Uh, oh, all right. <laughs> let no, anyone know. Nobody's what listening. I voted. You, I, but, wait a minute. You're, I, not, you're not allowed to tell people who you're voting for? I don't think we're supposed to reveal our ballots, um, but I will say that, like, like to me, like Calder, that's exactly who I expect. Yeah. Zeger, Spunting, Insider, um, Vezina, I do not vote on, so we can talk about that. And um, <laughs> but Shesterkin, Markstrom, and Saros, like I thought Vasilevsky would be in there, but maybe there's some fatigue. Maybe there's some this guy can't yeah. win it every year. Like he didn't have his best season, so let's throw like a Markstrom in there. I was happy to see Saros in there because I was a big Soros supporter this year. Like, I like I think he played even better than his numbers were. When you watch Nashville games, like, I think he's a guy who put his team on his back. Um, and I was worried that maybe a, like, a Freddie Anderson, who, to me, is maybe not as good as Soros, but has better numbers because he plays behind a team that's as good as Carolina is. I thought maybe a guy like Soros would get left off for a guy with better numbers on a better team. So I, I was happy when I saw Soros's name pop up um, as, a, as a guy who kind of just, like, focuses on the goalies. I think he's an underappreciated guy, so it's cool to see him. Um, I'm going to reveal something in my notes. I said I was going to just say, How's Freddie Anderson not in the, uh, the five th- final three finalists? Just to get you riled up, this is because I know yeah. your I know your Carolina theory. If you're a Carolina Hurricanes goaltender, and you got it better than anybody else, right? And it's not just Carolina. Like Colorado is another great example. Like Darcy Kemper's stats were great this year, but also Philip Grubauer was a was a finalist for the Vezina last year, and then he went to a team that's not stacked and was the worst goalie in the history of the sport of hockey. <laughs> That's a little. That's a little harsh. Yeah. But Grubauer did. He did. He did let in like twenty-eight goals above expected, or something. Some ridiculous number that doesn't even seem possible. So I, I'm always a big. Let's not just give the goalies with the best save percentage the Vezina. Damn it! Like let's watch these guys play and realize that some of them are better than others. And to me, Soros is the perfect example of that. And, and I'm glad he got. Isn't on the, that on the why you guys vote? Isn't that why they let you guys? Because you're watching the games, right? And unfortunately, sometimes I, I like hearing reporters say, and I know this is rapid fire. Our producer Jeff's probably like, guys, move on. Um, but I like hearing a reporter say, "I did some research," and not just. You know, let me take a look at who's got the best safer. I like hearing them watching games that maybe they're not necessarily accustomed to watching and, and talking to other people. So uh, we'll have to see. Uh, rapid fire item number two: Darnell Nurse can have a hearing for headbutting Dano, Philip Dano. Um, do we see a suspension here? I don't know. It's weird because if it wasn't like a headbutt where you move your head forward and just smash, it's kind of like a like ram, would be, right? Like <laughs> it looked, it looked, it looked like he was trying to like. You could even argue he was trying to hit him with his shoulder and then just happened to connect head to head. I don't know. It was a weird hit. I don't know what they're going to rule. Um, what do you? No think? idea. Because it's you know what's the one thing that we always hear too? Playoff games are a two for one. You know, two one playoff game is worth or sorry, like one playoff game is like two regular season games. Um, and I I said this earlier on this year. I think I have to literally retire from trying to find 
two things. Trying to figure out a suspension and trying to figure out if it's goalie interference on a review. Because I've been wrong like 150% of the time. Yes, I had an extra 50% there. Uh, one more item. <clears throat> Jason Spezza, uh, yesterday you saw when the Leafs fell down two to nothing. Um, during a TV timeout, they show him talking to Jack Campbell and calming him down. And then after the game, it was revealed that between the periods, uh, it was Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews who said that. He said that Jason Spezza made a speech to kind of motivate the guys. And when he speaks, you listen. I think I mentioned this about five shows ago. I wish there was a number, a stat that Dom could come up with that can quantify experience in the room. Because to me, Jason Spezza, who let's not forget was a healthy scratch in the series, is a fourth liner, is bringing it in that department for this team. Especially for a team that's that can be as nervous as the Leafs. Like there's so much pressure on them because they're so talented and they haven't won. Um, we, we had Ladd on the other day last week and he talked about like it's just calming the guys down right like it's you don't you don't need him to give Spez, Spez to get up there and give some Al Pacino any given Sunday speech that like fires everyone up like sometimes they just need a guy to be like hey like just play hockey like it's it and and, and it, it it has to come from someone that you respect right it can't just be anyone and like obviously he's got that you gotta fight with your fingernails oh, great scene great scene for that movie <laughs> um anything you're working on you want to plug what do you got what do you got going on this week yeah i'm right now i'm in the middle of writing it it should come out probably either later today or tomorrow a uh who stays and who goes for the golden knights it is a fascinating uh who stays who goes i do this every year at beginning of the off season usually it's just a case of like okay who what which free agents are good like which which pending free agents are good that they want to keep and which ones are bad that they want to let go but in the golden knights situation they actually are already over the salary cap for next year with the raised salary cap they're already over the ceiling and they still have six rfas and two ufas um this team may not be able to afford to just tender their restricted free agents. Um, it's an insane situation here in Vegas. So um, I, I'm writing a a crazier than usual edition of Who Stays, Who Goes in Vegas this offseason. Should I stay or should I go? You should name that. That, that should be the name of your piece. And number two, is Pete DeBoer on that list? Because we've obviously wanted him to be on this We list. still don't know. It's insane. <laughs> we still don't know what they're doing. Like he, We asked him on media cleanout day. He made it sound like he has no idea if he's coming back or not. Like he had no certainty in his voice that he, if he's the coach or not, he's under contract for one more year. Um, I think they may be um, perusing the market to see if there's an upgrade out there. And if there's not, then he comes back. I, I honestly don't know what they're doing. It's crazy. And that's why he's on. Everyone's possibly going to be in the Newark Islanders head coach. Jesse, thanks. We look forward to seeing that. And I will talk to you next week. I want to let everybody know, uh, give us a follow on your favorite po podcast platform. And when you do, leave a rating and a review. It helps us out a lot. And you could subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from the entire network. You start with a 30-day free trial, and then it's just 99 cents a month after that. Right now, you get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. We will be back next week with myself, Jesse, and I think Sarah should be back. We'll talk to you next week.